Hey everyone, and welcome to the Christ Family Church Podcast. We are so glad that you've made the decision to take time out of your day to join us virtually. Whether you're at home right now or listening on your way to work, we hope that you enjoy this week's teaching from Pastor John Hill. It's good to be here with you guys today. Good to be back with you. Um, I was here well, a while ago. I can't remember how long it was, but I was here the other day. When you get older, you just call it the other day, and that can mean anything from a couple days ago to a couple years ago. But uh, I just I had the joy of working with Pastor Zachary at my church for a number of years, and I called him up and I said, "Hey, you want a pulpit swap?" And I Tom Sawyer him because he's got to do four services, and I only have to do one. Yeah, it's Labor Day, baby! Come on. He's a dear friend. He's a man of God. And uh, our church was heartbroken when Pastor Zachary and Blair came to you guys. Um, But I always remind my church, and I'll remind you guys, pastors come and go, but a church is for the generations. And our faith is never in a pastor. It's in Jesus. And I know that you guys are building your faith in Jesus. Pastor Zachary is wonderful. He's creative. He's full of life. Um, But what you guys need to understand is you got two for one with him. Blair is like the pastor's wife of the ages. She's such a wonderful lady. I saw her when she came back uh, because we saw her Thursday night. And uh, I was like, man, are you 10 months pregnant? Just kidding. But she is about to have a baby. Come on. Praise God for that. Bible says children are a blessing from God. And uh, that's so, so true. I did notice you guys had 12 boys up here and one girl for the for the kids service. That's (laughs) it's uh, the ratios are not good for the boys here. But uh, It's almost as though we're in China. Not funny, but funny, okay? And, um, you know, I know that they had a lot of choices for churches, and we constantly had Pastor Zachary getting people attempting to poach him, calling us up, being like, you want to come work for us, which was really bothersome to me. Um, But for years, when he was dating Blair and when they later got married, he always felt called to Iowa, which I think is really cool. Like long before he knew of Christ Family Church, long before any of that, he really felt like the Lord was putting on his heart, Iowa, Iowa, Iowa. And uh, here he is. I know that God's hand is on it, and I believe that God brought you guys to him and them to you guys. It's great. But today, I want to answer a question some of you might not even realize you have, which is, why are there so many churches? Why are there so many churches? I think it's interesting, you know, we come in here, and every church is a little bit different. You know, some have pipe organs, whatever. Some have no instruments, if you're familiar with the church of God, like what's with that? You know, we get in here, and if you are far from God, you come to church, it's like it's like karaoke, but without the alcohol. Like, what are we doing with these songs? This is weird. You know, how many do we do? Some churches do very few. Some do none. Some do many. Like, it's all different. Why? Why are churches different? You know, some of you have heard questions about, you know, this famous preacher or that specific church. Why do they do it this way? Why do we do it that way? And today, I want to answer literally all of those questions. And I know that's a tall order. Some of you guys are like, yeah, you're going to be able to do it. But I will. I will. And I'm going to answer those questions with an analogy, which if you know me, it's a very Pastor John thing to do. I love analogies. This is one of my favorite things to teach on. And I think if Christ Family Church gets this, you will reduce your quarreling and arguing, not that you guys have a lot, but you'll reduce it by like 100%. I mean, you just, this little thing I'm going to lay down in God's word is going to transform the way that you view church and ministry. And what I'm going to do, because I like to know what's going to happen. I'm a high controller. Um, I'm an introvert high controller. I know that's weird for a pastor, but that's what I am. But what I'm going to do is lay down an analogy. I'm going to make some points slash look at some Bible at the same time because we can multitask, right? It's 2023. And then I'm going to give a challenge. And that's what the sermon looks like. Let's start with laying down the analogy. At our house, um, we have this ugly pond surrounded by six Bradford pear trees. 
And um, I'm convinced that Bradford pear trees are the worst tree on earth. They do not produce an edible pear. They have one exceptionally beautiful bloom for a couple weeks in spring. And uh, that bloom, it looks pretty, but it smells bad. Kind of like a pretty girl's heart. You know what I mean? Like, just kidding. Some pretty girl's heart. Some pretty girls are great. It looks, but it smells like wet dog. It really does. It's not good. And here's the worst part is these trees constantly shed huge limbs because they grow really fast. That's why people like them. They grow fast. You build a new house. You put a Bradford pear tree in the ground. And in a couple of years, you know, it looks like a, a mature tree. But it grows so fast. Its wood is so soft that the limbs just fall off. And they only live 15 to 25 years. Our Bradford pear trees are about 18 years old. And their limbs have been growing so fast and so big, they keep falling off. So I'm out there all the time. And by me, I mean my 71-year-old geriatric dad, because Japanese people live with their kids. And I told my white wife when I married her, I said, just so you know, my parents are going to move in with us. She was like, okay. Um, and we've been married 13 years, and my parents have lived with us for the last 12. So anyway, <laughs> that's true. I know. I know. It's great. It's a, it's a beautiful household. But anyway, my dad's out there with a replaced hip and a pacemaker cutting down those trees, those limbs that fall off. And I feel bad for him. It's almost enough for me to want to help him, but I don't. We have, I know, we have a corded chainsaw, corded electric chainsaw. It doesn't reach out to the very farthest Bradford pear tree. So when those ones fall, he has to literally cut them with a handsaw. I feel bad. But uh, these trees get me thinking about churches. People all the time ask me, Pastor, what churches are okay? What theologies are okay? What worship music is good. What about this church and that church? And this week, I want to give you a deeper framework, and you're really going to want to lean into this. This is so, you know, you ever wonder, why is it okay for them to do it that way? And we were really, we did this thing forever, and this was the way to do it. Now it's not the way to do it anymore, but I thought it was this thing. And how come this YouTube channel speaks really clearly about how that music from that church, from Bethel, from Elevation, from what is bad, Hillsong, you heard the mega church, whatever. I'm going to answer those questions. Even if you're not a Christian, you're going to want to lean into this message. It's a framework that's going to help you see clearly for years to come. I think you'll refer to it for years to come. So again, you want to lean into this. Don't fall asleep on me, okay? Now, I think that churches and biblical perspectives and theologies can be described as trees. And trees have a few major parts from a basic perspective. I'm not a botanist, but I can break it down, right? Roots, a trunk, limbs, and leaves, Okay, that's it, four parts of a tree. And those are on the most basic level of simple parts of a tree. Now, some parts of the tree are more critical than others. Obviously, the trunk is pretty critical. You can't bend a trunk very much. If you break the trunk, the tree's a goner. It's bad, it's over. You know, if the, the tree's dead, ultimately it's, it's big and dramatic. If you break the trunk, it's over. Now, limbs have slightly more flexibility. You can break a couple limbs off a tree and it's gonna hurt the tree, but the tree won't die. Okay, if you break enough limbs off, you might kill the tree. Uh, but generally, losing a limb or two isn't going to be fatal for the tree. Then there's leaves. Leaves are flexible. They blow about in the breeze here, there, and everywhere. The leaves are flexible. You lose a bunch of leaves, the tree's fine. In the same way, when it comes to Christian theology, there's trunk issues, limb issues, leaf issues, and root issues. It's really four stages. I don't want to start by talking through these. Let's start talking about the trunk. The trunk issues are absolutely critical. These are must-haves in faith, okay? If you don't have the trunk issues, um, you're not a Christian or the church isn't a church. I mean, these are core. These are like the deity of Christ, sin, depravity that separates us from God, the need to repent of sin, the sufficiency of Christ's sacrifice, the authority and inerrancy um, and sufficiency of the Bible. These are so on and so forth. If you compromise on a trunk issue, you're not a Christian or the church isn't a church. Your faith is dead. It's that simple. But I mean, these are critical. A tree can't live without a trunk, 
A Christian can't live without trunk issues. Church can't live without trunk issues. That's it. Then there's something called limb issues. And these are a little bit more difficult to understand. Limb issues are things you do that are clearly defined as right and wrong in the Bible. If you do wrong with a limb issue, you're still a Christian, but you're hurting the tree of your faith. Breaking a limb for a tree, it's a big deal. It requires some cleanup, doesn't it? You can't just leave a limb. When you break a limb as a Christian, there's going to be some cleanup on aisle five. You break enough of them, and the tree will eventually die. And I often see Christians ruining their life and faith, not by compromising on trunk issues. They never went and deconverted. They may still believe in God, but they break off their limbs, and their faith gets hurt. Let me give you some examples. How about getting drunk? That's a limb issue. The Bible tells us clearly in at least half a dozen places. Don't get drunk on wine because it'll ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Getting drunk is a sin. Super clearly called a sin. God calls sin, sin. Why? Because it's fun. No, just kidding. Because it hurts relationships. That's why God calls sin, sin. Right? I mean, how many of us in our lifetime have experienced pain and hurt from somebody who was drunk? Or we have made bad decisions and hurt people because of drunkenness. Right? It's, it's a thing. How about this one? Living together romantically before marriage or being sexual before marriage between a man and a woman. Limb issue. Dozens of times, Jesus calls us not to do this. Why? Because sin hurts us and he loves us. Right? And all the data is pretty clear on this. Um, living together romantically before marriage dramatically increases your chance of divorce, decreases marital and sexual satisfaction. And also, this is interesting, a comorbidity of living together romantically before marriage is it, by a standard deviation, statistically significant standard deviation, lowers the chances of your children being successful. That's interesting. You know, as a kid, I just thought, well, if it's fun, God says you can't do it. But as an adult, I say, if it's sin, it's because God loves us and wants us to avoid pain. Super clear. There's so many limb issues that we struggle with, too. I mean, substance abuse, lying, gossip, not tithing, not giving, not serving, um, being selfish, unforgiveness. These are all examples of things God says, hey, don't do this because it's going to hurt you. A tree losing a limb hurts the tree. A tree losing enough limbs can kill the tree. Let me show you a picture of one of our Bradford pear trees, okay? This tree, you can see, used to have a lot more limbs. 90% of its canopy is gone. It used to be like 10 times bigger than this. It just has one little limb left over. The rest of them are broken off. And, you know, you ever met a Christian? This is what their life looks like? I mean, this is their faith. Oh, I believe in God. But the tree's barely hanging on there because it broke all the limbs off. It's not producing any fruit. It's not really living. I mean, it's just barely. And some of us spiritually, this is us. Do you think this feels good? Do you think this produces a thriving faith? No, it feels terrible. And for many of us, many of us, this is us. This is our faith. No wonder. Churches doesn't feel good. You walk in, it doesn't feel very good. doesn't feel good because we're barely hanging in there. And you can repent. You can ask for forgiveness and receive it from God. But God removes the spiritual consequence of sin. The earthly consequence is still there. There's going to be some cleanup, right? We cleaned up all the limbs that fell off this tree, but there was major cleanup. And then after you do all the cleanup, there's still the fact that you broke your limbs off and it's going to take years to grow new limbs. And that's something we don't talk about. Look, Jesus washes us white as snow and he does. But the earthly consequence of sin is it takes time to regrow the damage. Then that's limb issues. Then there's twig and leaf issues, leaf issues. These are flexible. These are flexible issues in the church. Paul addresses one of these issues for the church in the city of Corinth. Some of you are familiar with the passage. I bet you can guess. I know where he's going. He's going to talk about meat sacrifice to idols. You're absolutely right. 1 Corinthians 8, 4, it says, so what about eating meat that has been offered to idols? In the Greco-Roman world of antiquity, you could get meat at a discount price if it had been used in a service um, of worshiping idols. And Paul says, well, we all know that an idol is really not really a god. 
there's only one God. And what he's saying is meat that's been offered to an idol doesn't really matter because God's not real. So go ahead and eat it. It can be purchased at a lower price. Save a buck. And it's like, man, I thought Paul was Jewish, but he sounds like an old Dutchman. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, some of you guys don't get it, okay? I'm, I'm from a Dutch Reformed church, like this church's roots, and Dutchmen are, <laughs> they like to turn, you know, uh, two nickels into a quarter. I'll tell you that right now. But um, some Christians felt bad about doing this, right? I mean, Paul said, it's good, go for it, but some didn't feel good about it. Paul said, look, it's fine. You can eat it if you want. It's a false god. However, not all believers know this. Some are accustomed to thinking of idols as being real. So when they eat food that's been offered to idols, they think of it as worship of real gods. And their weak emphasis on weak. Weak is the word I want you to get here. Weak consciences are violated. It's true that we can't win God's approval by what we eat. We don't lose anything if we don't eat it. We don't gain anything if we do. But you must be careful so that your freedom doesn't cause others with a weaker conscience to stumble. What is he describing? He's describing leaf issues in the church. For some, the wind blows a leaf over here. For other, it blows a leaf over there. My wife, Kristen, and I, um, we don't have alcohol in our house. We have a dry house. We don't drink at all. It's a leaf issue. You can drink in moderation. The Bible says don't get drunk. That's a limb issue. Drinking in moderation, that's fine. We don't do it because for us, it's, it, it violates our conscience. She was raised in the home of an alcoholic. I have a super addictive personality. I know. I'm not going down that road. I'm not drinking any of this stuff because I don't know what's going to happen. Plus, you know, Japanese men, I have one Mike's Hard Lemonade. I'll be singing bad karaoke in a New York minute. You know what I mean? It's true. It's true. We lack two enzymes that metabolize alcohol, so we get, we get drunk really fast. So I basically can't drink at all without getting drunk. So for me, I'm not going to do it. Now, does that make us more right with God? No. No, it doesn't. Paul says, no, it doesn't. Right? But it's about us. It's about our weaker consciousness. How about this one? Reading Harry Potter, Narnia, or Lord of the Rings books. Right? For some, it's a serious issue. Some people have hurt from a demonic past. And they're reminded of some of those things in these books. I've read them, and I think they're fine, except for Lord of the Rings, which is just terrible literature. But that's not because I think it's bad. It's just, you know what I mean? Like, I can't get through it. My wife is like, you are the worst. How about this one? Movies and screen time. In my house, Chris and I, we don't have a TV. We don't have streaming. We don't have anything of that nature. We just don't do it. And for us, we have these really vivid imaginations, right? And we just know when we watch these things, our mind goes in these places, and we just decided for us and our kids, we're not going to do it. And now, does God love us more because we do that? No. It's just a weaker conscience in our house. It's a leaf issue. There are trink, trunk, limb, and leaf issues when it comes to faith in the church. Now, I laid this foundation down so I can make two points. And these two points are really the challenges. They're really, really critical. They're really important. And I think all of you understood. Once I got into the tree thing, you kind of understood where I was going. And it's like, well, it's good that he's expanding on it and whatever. Now, these next two parts of the message are really critical. I want to send them home because here's the purpose of church. It's not to learn something. It's to be transformed by the word of God. And this is where the transformation comes in. You know, and I don't want you to just go, oh, that was really clever. You know, that was interesting. I want you to be transformed. So my hope is that each of you, no matter what you believe, no matter what your background is, with these next two points, you're going to take something away that is going to change the way you live. Okay? That's really critical. You don't need to be a Christian to be transformed by this message. Here's my first point. And this is big. Lean into this. Don't miss it. Don't turn lemon leaf issues into trunk issues. This is where you take a leaf issue or a limb issue, it's kind of both, like drinking and getting drunk, and you make it into a trunk issue. Now, um, my extended family, Buddhist and atheist, but ultimately, by the grace of God, I was raised in church in a Baptist church. Interesting. Now, you don't know anything about Baptists. They're a little weird. Being raised, I understand this. They do not like drinking at all. And I've had what I call Baptist bad boys come to me and say, Pastor, I've broken all Ten Commandments, but I've never drunk the devil's juice. 
And just so you know, the devil's juice in Baptist talk is alcohol. And I'm like, bruh, you committed adultery and you've murdered somebody, but you've never drunk alcohol? That's messed up. Maybe you need a drink to relax, man. Like, that's, that's crazy. That's a lot. Just kidding. You know, whatever. I, I don't want to violate your weak conscience. But, but for real, what are they doing? That's an example of turning a leaf issue into a trunk issue. And it's super destructive. And this is what Jesus constantly fought against. Matthew 12, 1, it says at about that time, Jesus was walking through some grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, hangry. You ever been there? You know, some of you guys know what that's like. I don't have a normal sense of hunger. I, don't, I can go a day, two days without eating and forgetting to eat. My wife, oh, look out, okay? His disciples were hungry. They began breaking off some heads of grain and eating them. But the Pharisees saw them do it. And they protested. Look, your disciples are breaking the law by harvesting, harvesting grain on the Sabbath. Really? Now, God in the Ten Commandments tells us to keep the Sabbath holy. Doesn't really break down what that means, but I'll tell you, God made you to work six days and rest one. Work six days and rest one. On our staff at our church, we've got 25 staff members. We work six days a week and rest one. Some of you are like, I ain't going to work there. But that's the way God made us, right? And that's the way we honor God. I think the best volunteers at church, they work five days at their workplace. They work one day in God's house, right? And they rest one. And that's what we do, and that's it. Now, the Jewish church created a bunch of rules to determine what working and what resting actually were. And for them, they, they had this whole book. It's called the Mishnah. And it had all these different details about how to work on the Sabbath, how to, re- or how to rest on the Sabbath, and what it was. For example, you could, for, in Jewish law, drag a chair across the floor on Sabbath because, you know, you got to rearrange your house so you can play bridge or pinochle or whatever you like to do. Okay, that's real old. Um, to play Call of Duty or um, World of Warcraft. I don't know what people are playing these days. Anyway, drag a chair across the floor. You couldn't pick it up. If you did, that was work. Or how about this one? You could eat pistachios on the Sabbath as long as they were shelled, right? But if they were not shelled and you were opening up, that would be harvesting. And that's working. Cannot do that. And that's what the Pharisees are all upset about right here. They're harvesting, chucking grain between their hands. And Jesus was like, you guys, you're turning a leaf issue into a trunk issue. Jesus was from Minnesota. We know this. This is where I'm from, Minnesota, okay? It's just not a surprise that he had a Minnesota accent. Little known fact. That's actually not true. I lied. But um, you turn a leaf into issue into a trunk issue. Don't do that. And over and over again, you can see this issue. This is what got Jesus crucified in the Bible. You know, whether it was working on the Sabbath or eating with tax collectors, Jesus continually was teaching people, don't turn a limb issue or a leaf issue into a trunk issue. And I wonder today, how many of us would crucify Jesus for violating our leaf issues that we've turned into trunk issues? It's a big deal. How many churches have been split apart? How many brides of Christ have been cut into pieces because of people turning a limb and leaf issue into a trunk issue? You know, it's not just a Christian thing that does this. I mean, this is just human nature. It's what we like to do. Outside the Christian faith, how often do you see the news turning leaf issues into trunk issues? What do they say? They say, so-and-so is destroying our democracy. And it happens on Fox News, CNN, it don't matter. You know, he's a fascist, he's a socialist, he's a neo-Marxist. Everything anyone does, you can turn leaf issue into trunk issue. I do this in my marriage. My wife, she does it worse than I do, though, I'll tell you that right now. My wife, when we first got married, used to lose her mind if I left dirty clothes on the side of the bed. But I told Kristen, here's the deal, you don't understand, they're not dirty yet. I'm not working out in the field. I'm a pastor. My pants don't get dirty from wearing them one time. I don't wear them several times as they work their way down the echelons of dirty. And I like to leave them nicely crumpled on the floor besides my bed. And this is what she said. You guys, you're going to relate to this. She said, John, I just feel so, <laughs> I, I'm going to try not to laugh while saying this. I just feel so unloved, unseen, 
and alone. And I'm like, really? Really? You feel unloved, unseen, and alone? Like our marriage is struggling because I leave a pile of dirty clothes on the side of my bed? What is she doing, guys? She's turning a limb or leaf issue into a trunk issue for a marriage. And it's not healthy. Now, I do the same thing with a marriage. My wife, I'm always on time. Always. I'm never late. Okay? My wife cannot be on time. It's impossible. I don't understand. I just, because she can always just do one more thing. I'm just going to get one more thing. I'm going to do my Instacart order while I'm doing this. I just got one more thing. Right? And she's always, and this is, this is what I said early in our marriage. I said, Kristen, I just can't. I just can't with this anymore. I just can't. Now, really, John? What does that mean you just can't? That's a dangerous statement in the context of a marriage. And what I was doing was I was turning a leaf issue into a trunk issue. We do this in our workplaces. I had a conversation with a young man the other day. I bet you can guess that he was part of Gen Z. He said, Pastor, my boss was the absolute worst. I have a toxic work environment. I said, really? It's toxic? Whatever makes it toxic. And he said, my boss makes me come to work on time. And if I don't come on time, he confronts me. He doesn't understand that I can't get up in the morning because my community is online. We like to play a game called Smash Brothers, and I need to meet them online to play Smash Brothers. And I'm like, I don't even know what this game is, but it sounds scary and dangerous. He goes, John, it's just so toxic at work. What is he doing? He's turning a leaf issue into a trunk issue, right? Calling it toxic rather than saying, hey, it's just something I don't like. I'm going to find a workplace that has more flexible hours. He says, no, he's mistreating me. He's victimizing me. And this mistake is so destructive. It makes you miserable. I mean, when you spend your life turning lemon leaf issues into trunk issues, you will be miserable with people, with churches, with spouses, with workplaces, and with God. And the end result of somebody who does this, they get a limbic system that's firing off all the time in their mind. Everything is dangerous, and they have anxiety. Anxiety. You're going to be anxious. Of course you are, because everything is the worst. It's the biggest. It's the baddest. It's terrible. And this is America today. We live in the most prosperous country in human history during the most prosperous time in human history, this amazing place. My grandparents fought a war against each other. Their children married each other. And look, I'm a mix of both. I mean, it's just crazy and wild. Here's the thing. We look at the blessing of our life, and we call it a curse, when we turn leaf issues into trunk issues. I wonder if there's anyone here who can identify themselves doing this in life. Now, here's the thing. YouTube theologians, Christians in general, we love, love to turn lemon leaf issues into trunk issues. And, you know, um, I was watching somebody on YouTube the other day, and he was prognosticating extremely doing this. And he said, you know, that Elevation Church with that pastor, Stephen Furtick, they put a non-Christian secular dance song at the end of their newest album. They're heretics. I said, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Are they cursing God's name in that secular dance song? No. Are they committing a theological heresy within the dance song? No. So maybe they're not heretics. I mean, by that same measure, the book of Ruth in the Bible would be heretical because it never mentions God's name either. It's just, a, it's just a book about a lady. You might not like it. It's a leaf issue, though. And if you don't like it, don't buy the album. I didn't buy the album because I don't like music. That's a leaf issue, too. It's just a John Hill thing. You don't have to do it. It's meat sacrifice to idols. Imagine a tree, just a trunk, no leaves. No limbs, just a trunk. Have you ever met a Christian like that? Have you ever met a church like that? It's dead. It's dead. It produces no life. And you meet that person, and here is this faith that's full of life, and there's no life there. It's not functional. It's not living. It's legalism. And this is what Jesus fought against. I think Christian religion and human nature in general has a huge vulnerability into turning leaf issues into trunk issues, arguing about little things, 
Baptism by immersion versus sprinkling. What kind of fluid to use for communion? 10W30 versus 5W30. Just kidding. Grape juice versus wine. Gluten-free crackers versus whole grain. You don't want to mess with a gluten-intolerant crowd. They are very intolerant. Just kidding. Just kidding. Gluten-intolerant. I know. Sorry. Lactose-intolerant. Um, this temptation, though, this temptation permeates everything, everywhere. Because you want to do it right. And the trunk just gets thicker. And the limbs and leaves get smaller. We end up arguing about guitars on stage at church. Apparent age versus young earth frequency of communion. Santa, music style, programs, counseling availability, saying the Lord's Prayer, kids, service. Don't turn a leaf issue into a trunk issue. That's my first point. Second point, big point. Some of you, oh, oh, you put it up too soon. You're fine, it's fine. Don't turn trunk issues into leaf issues. This is a big deal. You know, this is what Satan did with Jesus. This, this one right here. The first one he didn't do, but he tried to, Satan tried to tempt Jesus with this one. And in a way, I think this one's even more tempting than the first one. Check it out, Matthew 4, verse 8. It says, next, the devil took Jesus to the peak of a very high mountain. He showed him all the nations of the earth, all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. I'll give it all to you, he said, if you'll just kneel down and worship me. Get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him. For scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. The devil's basically saying, I'll do all these really good things for you. I'll make your life great. Make you look good to the world. If you just break this little issue, this little baby issue right here, if you just worship me as a false god. And I think this is a temptation for the churches in the modern era. If we just affirm sin, we just kneel down to this flag, things will be good. The world will accept you. You'll be loved. All you have to do is worship the devil and love, and the world will love God. Sounds kind of good, actually. Imagine how much good could happen. If we just do this one bad thing, we'll be seen as loving. Have you ever wondered what would have happened if Jesus did bow down to Satan? I must admit, as a child, I just thought, why didn't you do it? You could have just forgiven yourself. You would have gotten all the kingdoms of the earth. But I think the devil would have betrayed him. I think it would have never been enough. That is what we see today, isn't it? We're just going to add a new initial, a new kind of sin, a new thing that needs to be affirmed, a new letter. And if you affirm this, I'm going to come after that, and it's this, and it's this, and this. Now it's your kids. I just want your kids. Now I just want to mutilate your kids. I'm going to take them all from you because the devil is a liar, and he twists. And some of you who are non-Christians say, ooh, that just took a turn in a bad direction. I don't really like that, Pastor. Well, I can prove to you empirically that it's true. Okay, think about the cities of the earth. Earth, Los Angeles, Minneapolis, my hometown, Chicago, D.C., Portland. Okay, you think about these cities where people have bowed down to lawlessness. They say, no sin is possible. It's remarkable. I moved from Minneapolis in 2014. I go back. It is a desolate wasteland. It is not safe. My friend pastors a church in Brooklyn Center, and they have had bullets hit their building in worship multiple times. It's super unsafe. We own, my family owns row homes in downtown Minneapolis. All of our tenants have been carjacked by armed carjackings, and the police won't respond. They say, we don't respond to armed carjackings anymore. They're too common. That's life. And in that city, they say, you want to shoot up with a needle? No problem. We'll provide clean needles for you. You want to shoplift? Not an issue. We won't even call it bad. We'll just relieve. We won't even arrest you. You do whatever you want. You want to go pee-pee on the sidewalk? You want to go poo-poo on the sidewalk? Go for it. It's fine. You got to watch where you step in Minneapolis. We said no sin is possible. And instead of people being free and happy, these places have become lawless hellscapes. 
Because sin always leads to hell. That's just what it does. Hell for your life. Hell for your family. Hell for your communities. What's interesting is to see people fleeing to a place. Where are they going? To a place where a Christian ethic continues. I mean, it's remarkable. We call it the BMV where I'm from. You might call it the DMV. Our BMV is packed with Illinois license plates. And we see them. We say, don't come here. You guys don't know how to drive. You're the worst. But they come fleeing to Indiana. We don't want to turn leaf issues into trunk issues, but it is just as destructive to turn trunk issues into leaf issues. So at this point, some of you are wondering, Pastor, uh, I like this little analogy. You spent a long time, you know, made, made your two points. That's good. But how do we know what a trunk issue is, what a limb issue is, what a leaf issue is if we're new to church? And if you're really astute, you will remember that there were four parts to the tree that I mentioned. And the fourth part is what is most critical in understanding the other three. It's the foundation of them. Now, I saved it for the end because a good pastor knows you saved your best point for last. And that's what I did. I want to talk about root issues. Roots are what feed the trunk, limb, and leaf. The roots are what allow you to stay connected to Jesus. So many of you, to speak like an Australian pastor, you give your life to Christ and everything changes. The old is gone. The new is here now. But you need to get your roots planted or that newness will not last. And when your roots are cut off and fail, the rest of the tree will suffer. And I think this is a big problem for Christians in the church. Now, the roots are made of three parts, God's church, God's people, and God's word. All three must work together to sustain the life that God has given to us, to stay connected to Jesus. If you're missing even just one of these, your tree is going to struggle and wilt. And even if your trunk, limb, and leaves look great, if you sever even one of these roots, your tree will begin to wilt. People who turn leaf issues into trunk issues, you know, these YouTube prognosticators who say that church does it wrong and that church does it wrong. They're mostly all Baptist. I can say that because I was raised Baptist. You know, they yell at everybody, right? That's what we do. They, they do it wrong. They do it wrong. We're the only ones who do it right. Um, they sever themselves from what? God's church and God's people. They're just connected to God's word. And their tree of faith wilts, doesn't it? You see it. There's not new life in that. I would say a similar thing is happening for people who turn trunk issues into leaf issues. They may continue to fellowship with God's church and God's people, but what have they disconnected from? God's word. And they wilt. And they wilt. I see so many people, so many families, who have had in the past a thriving faith. And their faith starts to wilt. They now make it to church two or three times a month. They rarely read their Bibles. They don't go to life group. They serve barely once in a while. They only give if they have extra. They've stopped tithing long ago. And what happens is our faith starts to wither. We didn't see it happening. But our heart begins to grow cold. It's like a big giant tree that just begins to wilt. And above ground, everything looks okay. We never said we were deconstructing. We disconnect and wither. Some of us, we look back 10 years ago, we wonder why our faith is so faded. You know, some of us, when we were young, when we were in premarital, we were on fire. We had big dreams of reaching the nations, going to the ends of the earth. But now your kids are grown, and they're kind of meh about God. Your grandkids don't even know the name of God. And you're, if you're honest, kind of meh about it all too. You're more passionate about Republicans or Democrats than you are about the name of Jesus. How did it happen? It wasn't a decision. It was just a slow withering. And it's because of the roots. Because of the roots. 
And you thought you could just miss a little bit of God's word, God's people, and God's church for vacations, for sports, for summer, for work, for bike races, for whatever. And over time, just withered away. That's why Jesus says, yes, I'm the vine and you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And for our analogy today, we're calling the vine the root. It's inception. It's an analogy inside of an analogy. But when we disconnect from Jesus, we wither. This is why for me and my family, when we were dating, we didn't just say, we want to love Jesus. We made a standard. We said, this is what the, this is going to look like. And we kind of made this whole little thing. These are the standards that we have. They're measurable goals for the generations, for the decades of our family. I've watched so many great legacies get destroyed by distraction. Good intentions were there. We're going to honor God. But over the decades, you know, by your, you know, diamond anniversary, by your whatever anniversary, just it's fate. How did it happen? Okay. And we said for our family, we're going to be at our home church 48 Sundays a year. And we're going to be in church in general 50 Sundays a year. That was our goal when we got married. That was our standard. Okay. We're going to be connected to God's word, God's church, and God's people. The other day we were on vacation. And we're going to hit 51 Sundays this year. We're on vacation, Minnesota. And I told my wife, hey, we can skip today. And she said, no, 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 we don't need to. She said, John, this is not for the kids. This is for us. We are going to go to God's house. So we did. It was a wonderful experience. I still remember the message. It was fantastic. I'll probably rip it off when my well gets dry one of these days. It's fantastic. But we stay connected to God. As I get ready to start thinking about considering the possibility of closing, it's my plane. I'll land it when I want to. I want to ask, it was a joke, but nobody laughed. Um, I'd like to ask, uh, can you come, Joyce, and hit the keys for me just for a second? And, uh, Dan, you can get ready. But I want to ask you this critical question What does your tree of faith look like? I really want you to visualize it in your mind. This message isn't about somebody else. It's about you. Generationally, what does your tree of faith look like? Jesus said, I'm the vine and you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. Go back to that question. What does your tree of faith look like? As a church, are we producing fruit? Christ Family Church, are we a place where no one's perfect and everyone's welcome? Is this a place where life change happens, where people far from God can have an encounter with the grace of Jesus, the truth of Jesus, they can be called from sin and brought to new life in Christ? Have we put aside our personal preferences so that we can reach people far from God? Are we willing to die to the things that we want so God can accomplish his will on earth through us? Do we call people to repentance here? Do they heed that call? What does the tree of faith look like for Christ Family Church? Big question. What's a legacy in the story we want to tell? And then, what does your tree of faith look like for you and your family? Does your tree of faith grow? Is it producing fruit? Are people choosing to follow Jesus because of your tree of faith? All your prayers were answered, answered this week. Who would become a Christian? Do your kids and grandchildren have a steadfast faith because of your faithfulness? Because here's a big one. Kids don't follow Jesus because of their parents' faithfulness. Or faith. They don't follow Jesus because of their parents' faith. They follow Jesus because of their parents' faithfulness. This is such a big deal. We know we can't just have faith. We need to show them faithfulness. It's your time, treasure, and talent being used for God's purposes. Now, I'd like to do something in the other messages called the application. It's a little bit weird um, Sunday, but I'm going to ask you guys just to do it with me this one time. Okay, 
like to ask you just to meditate on your life by bowing your heads and closing your eyes for Just on Christ and concentration. I want you to meditate on what you truly want. I want you to visualize standing before the God of the universe at the end of this life. Are you proud of how you do? Are you grateful for the story that was told through your life? Are your roots planted firmly in God's people, God's church, and God's word? If you are identifying deficiencies in the tree of your faith, I want you, in your mind, crystal clear, think about what that is right now. Right now, what is it in your mind? I want you to resolve to change. It's re-engaging with God's church. Re-engaging with the life. Getting back into God's word. Maybe it's repenting of turning a leaf issue into a trunk issue. Give it to God. I want you to resolve to change. We're not here to learn. We're here to be transformed. Let's pray together, church. God in heaven, I ask that your Holy Spirit would convict the hearts the people that you wrote this message for. God, would you transform the way we live and conform us to your image, to your likeness. Give us your heart, O oh God. I look at these cities and I ask that you would bring great revival to Christ Family Church, to the people here right now. I ask you to pray in the words of our Lord Jesus, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, the glory, forever. Hey again, we hope that you enjoyed that teaching from Pastor John and being a part of what God is doing here at Christ Family Church. If you'd like to come visit us in person sometime, we meet every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. And if you'd like more information on our church, you can head over to ChristFamilyChurch.org. Once again, thanks so much for joining us. Have a great week.